Well, again, welcome to WOW World Outreach Week. Welcome to everybody joining us on Facebook Live, everybody over there in the venue service, and everybody live here in the auditorium. It is great to have you with us. My name's Renee. I'm another one of the pastors here at Twin Lakes Church, and I want to invite you to grab the message notes that look like this that are inside your bulletin so you can follow along a little bit. If you are a regular attender here at Twin Lakes Church, you know that this is one of my absolutely favorite weeks of the year, and if you're a first-time guest today, let me tell you, you chose a great weekend, a little bit different than what we regularly do in our weekend services here. First of all, I'll only be speaking for about 10 minutes instead of 30, and I know that's like a dream come true for many of you. <laughs> but that's because the sermon, most of it will be a very inspiring short film by our staff videographer, Jamie Rahm, about three of our global partners. Why are we doing that? Well, all year long here at Twin Lakes, we give away at least 10% and usually more than that of every single dollar that is ever donated to us, to people doing great work all around the world. And every year this, World Outreach Week, is when we give you a little peek into what's been happening through your support. But first, let me set this up. Why do we even do World Outreach? And why do we here at Twin Lakes Church do world outreach the particular way that we do world outreach? Well, let me explain it this way. You may have heard that there's kind of a big football game coming up next weekend. Uh, show of hands, how many of you passionately care about that game because the Niners are in it? Show of hands, how many of you passionately care more about the commercials than the game itself? <laughs> Most of us. I want to show you the commercial that was voted in one poll as the best Super Bowl commercial Ever. This was in the 2015 Super Bowl broadcast. Do you remember this? When I wake up, well, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who wakes up next to you. And when I go out, yeah, I know I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the man who goes along with you. Everybody just say it with me, ah. What is it about that ad that strikes such a chord? And by the way, that, it's kind of hidden, but that's a beer commercial. Um, so why don't they just show some guy guzzling a brew for 60 seconds? Because that would never make you go, ah, right? What is it about this commercial that makes us respond that way? Well, here's my theory. We have all felt like that lost puppy at times. And this is why that plot line of the lost animal or the lost toy or the lost child or the lost alien always strikes a chord every single time. It resonates, whether it's in a fairy tale, a movie, a storybook. Think Toy Story, Finding Nemo, Finding Dory, Pinocchio, Far From Home, E.T., and on and on and on. Our hearts just go out to the lost. And 
we all really long for a group to be part of, a group that helps find the lost, like those Clydesdales in the commercial. Well, guess what? Jesus described his own mission in those terms. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the what? The lost. And he told stories about a lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son to explain his heart and explain his mission. We sing songs responding to that idea, like amazing grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Well, then Jesus tells all his followers, go into all the world, world outreach, and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Okay, that's great, but what's the gospel? Basically, good news for lost puppies. Most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world, the whole world, all nations, all races, all languages, all people, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not be lost, but have eternal life. So our mission's clear. Go to the world and go tell the lost that God is welcoming them home through Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. That's clear, just one question. So how do I do that? Well, how did Jesus do it? And how did Jesus model it? And how did Jesus teach us to do it? It's interesting, Jesus never said, make sure you wrestle and gain political power and control over people. He never said that. He never said, form an army and coerce people. He said, put away your sword. And to be fair, Jesus never even said use PowerPoint slides and cool lighting in 35-minute sermons, although I think there's nothing wrong with those things. But Jesus did model one method for sharing the gospel, and he taught us to do this one method over and over and over. I mean, from day one, Jesus began his public ministry this way, in a synagogue in Nazareth. He opens a scroll and he begins to read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the who? The poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus there is quoting from the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, the book of Isaiah, where the prophet Isaiah is writing about a day that God will bring peace and restoration to the whole planet. No more poverty, no more injustice, no more sickness, no more death. And Jesus is saying in that synagogue, it has started. The tiny seed of that is starting to germinate. And I'm going to bring that message to the poor and the imprisoned and the sick. In other words, the lost. And Jesus found them and he fed them and he healed them as kind of the, the vanguard, kind of a foretaste of what God's going to do to the whole entire planet one day. And then he tells us to spread the good news of the kingdom of heaven the same exact way. In many, many different verses, like this one, Jesus said, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your what? Good deeds. And glorify your Father in heaven. Okay, good deeds. For whom? 
Well, Jesus said this many times. He says, for example, when you throw a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. In other words, all the lost puppies. And he taught this and he modeled this again and again. You know, I love classic art. And my favorite pieces of classic art about the Bible are about this theme, like this Rembrandt called Christ Among Outcasts. I love this so much, I have a print of this in my living room. Not an original, just a copy, uh, just to, to make that clear. But I love this because Jesus is surrounded by the marginalized, the disabled, and the poor, and the old widows, and the small children. Or this woodcut by the amazing 19th century French illustrator Gustave Doré, Jesus reaching out to the sick and the outcast, because that's how Jesus rolled. Now, the gospel wasn't just for those people. The rich and the powerful and connected also were ministered to by the gospel, but it was when they saw Jesus reaching out to these people that their hearts were changed too. That's why, you know how many times the Bible says that we should assist the poor and the marginalized? 2,000 times. Now, this isn't the entirety of the gospel message, but this is the launching pad, the frame for the gospel. Why? Because actions speak louder than words. And if our message is good news for lost puppies... Jesus says, find the lost puppies and help them out because then everybody else who might outwardly present as having it all together but really feels deep inside kind of lost too, they're going to see those good deeds and see the heart of God. And they're going to know that if God loves those people, he loves me too. Remember, Jesus said that people see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, good deeds lead to goodwill which leads to an openness to the good news. Good, le good deeds lead to goodwill, which leads to an openness to the good news. And that is why we partner with 26 global partners who serve Christ exactly this way all over the world. There's actually a list on pages two, and th rather pages three and four of your notes uh, about which one of our global partners are here. More than half of them are with us this week. Please say hi. Please connect with them after services or during dessert and dialogue events or Wednesday nights. And we're going to show you three examples specifically of how our global partners do what we've been talking about in this year's WOW documentary. We're going to take you first to Oregon, where Camp Attitude brings hope to families of kids with special needs. And then we're going to fly you all the way over to India to first Prakash, which means light, a vocational training center, which takes marginalized young people and trains them and disciples them, and to Little Flock Children's Home, which reaches homeless children and widows and, and marginalized people. You might remember that part of our 2020 Vision Project, which includes our new college coffee house, which is now under construction, but as part of that project... We completely funded the building of a school and medical dental clinic at Little Flock. And wait till you see how they have filled these hallways. And remember as you watch this, these are all people that you already support. If you've given a dollar to Twin Lakes Church, you have supported these people because we always tithe to our global ministry partners from what comes in 
to Twin Lakes Church. So now let's check them out in action. Watch this. My name is Dan Whitney, and I'm president of Camp Attitude, Oregon. At the end of 2000, uh, I broke my neck. When I did that, I was paralyzed from the neck down. While I was in the hospital, I had no idea what was going to come. I didn't know if I'd ever move below my neck again. It was just a whole new normal. And my kids knew it was, you know, dad was going to be different from now on and uh, my wife just supported me the whole way. During that time, uh, I met a guy that had the idea for this camp up here. At that point, I really needed to be a part of something because I knew it was gonna be special. In 2005, we had one week 2006, we had three weeks, and then from there on, it's been eight weeks. And then we have specialized camps. Now it would be like osteoimperfecta, which is brittle bone disease. And in the future, we hope to have even more specialized camps, like autism. You have the special needs child, and they are the rock stars. They're so used to being told no, no, no in so many parts of society and them being a burden. We totally redefine normal. In the outside world, if they have a physical disability, children are looked at differently, they're pointed at, they're not included, they're told no that they can't participate. And on this side of the wall, kids are accepted and loved for who they are, no matter what their ability is. It really is an amazing transformation to watch these people because they're expecting like the other shoe to drop for there to be some type of fee or something that goes with it. There's no cost. Everything that we do is based off of donations. We have the buddies, and the buddies are with their camper, uh, their special needs child, from 8 a.m. until 8 p.m. And the amazing thing about that is the relationship that is built between those two. Camp Attitude because I love seeing the smiles on these kids' faces and I love seeing them be able to have fun without any judgment from anyone. Every year I learn something new and it every week teaches me how to care for others and to be compassionate and to, un like, to take time to understand the struggles that other people go through. It's so incredible getting to meet the campers and their families and you make wonderful connections with people that last for a lifetime. The parents come up and they actually get a respite. And they don't get that. That respite time is so critical. 
as special needs parents, um, we're on <laughs> all the time, 24 seven. Um, we live in a state of heightened <laughs> attention and to be able to come here and know that our kid is safe and happy and accepted has been truly amazing for us. By far, my favorite thing is the talent show. These kids get up there and they do things they've never done and the parents cannot believe what they're seeing. I mean, it's like standing ovation for them. Here's God taking special needs children and the love from this camp, and that's the buddies and everybody else that has just shown them love all week, and they feel like, hey, you know what, I can do this. God is at the center of everything that we do. People that attend don't have to be Christians. We make it known that we're a faith-based camp, but we're not here to proselytize to them. We want to do that through our actions, which is our Philippian 2.5, that we should, we should have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And so that's what we tell everybody. Don't go out there and tell people, show people. That's where God is saying, hey, I'm going to plant some seeds through you people. The ultimate goal is we're going to have some people walk out of here and feel like, hey, this is what Christians do. And this is what, more importantly, what Christ can do. And so we're not about religion, we're about relationship. And that's what's emphasized all week long. I'm very thankful for the foundation of faith that I received here at camp. There was not one person that judged my struggle. They accepted my brokenness. We are so happy, so at peace, just working with campers and with Camp Attitude and we never would have imagined that our life would go that way before Dan's accident. God always has great plans. When I broke my neck, I never asked the question why. It was what. You know, what does God want me to do now? This is what God has given me. He's given me joy in my heart and um, there's not many days where I lose that. If you're going to pray, God, use me, be ready for the way he's going to use you because I never dreamt that he would use a broken neck to accomplish something that he wanted to accomplish. But I'm so glad that he did it. And I'm here today to say, I'm glad that I broke my neck. I'm glad that I'm, that I'm partially paralyzed. I'm thankful for that because of what has come from it. born and raised in India, went to the United States for education, then began working in a church, overseeing missions, and having heard about the plight of children, orphans and street kids, I felt that it was a mandate given by God to care for orphans and widows. So we founded Little Flock in India.
Hallmark is a place for orphans and widows. We want orphans to come and live here and know first and foremost that they are loved by God. It's also a place where we hope that they will thrive. We give them education, we give them all that they need, basic needs, and we are committed to them till the end of their education, even through career, and because this is India, and if they don't have parents or any relatives, even to get them married. It's also a place for widows where they can come and find family here. Little Flock is more than just an orphanage. It's also a place that cares about its neighbors. So it's also an outreach to the village, helping empower women. So that's when we said we need to teach them sewing and we need to teach them tailoring and uh, jewelry making so that the women can find some means of sustaining their families. All of our labor force is from the village. And we also try to employ the Dalits because they cannot get jobs that easily. So it's a very complex culture. It's such an ancient civilization. We'll continue to provide opportunities for widows. We'll continue doing village outreach and empowering the village community. They feel completely accepted by us. They say to me, Little Flock is a life-giving place for us. They said we can't imagine our lives without what we have experienced here. I think we'd like to see our children grow up and um, impact the world around them. You know, many people have asked us, are these kids up for adoption? We said, no, we want these kids to, uh, to grow up here in country and be change makers within the country. So we hope that we can have a lot of our kids educated in different fields, including government. And um, the other plan we have, which I also should mention, is to start a school here, which will serve not only our kids, but also the village community. So I would say Little Flock is not only a place where people come and are nurtured and loved, but we hope that all those who come to Little Flock and go out in the community will have some impact. And it has a greater impact on this community. I think if Little Flock didn't exist here, lots of people would not have jobs. Lots of these people will be on the edge of poverty. And they would also have no hope. Not only do we do tangible things for them through employment and training and everything, that it's, it's doing things, but it's also making a difference in their spiritual climate in this village. Prakash was started as a dream in 1961, but actually the school came into being 45 years ago. Twin Lakes came on board at the very beginning of fundraising. 
And so Lorna and I came on as what we were thinking would be donors, but God had a different plan. In India, a trade is only learned through the family. So if a, a young person is an orphan or the family is so poor that nobody could be in the trade, they are without hope. Our students come down out of poverty and they absolutely have no hope. When you get out in the tribal areas, you have areas with no electricity, no running water, no written language, and none of the children have ever gone to school. So you start with the basics. How do you wash your hair? How do you brush your teeth? In India, there's not a lot of opportunity for a lower caste woman. They live day to day. Future is not a word these girls have ever even considered. the girls' school was a dream that Lorna and I had, and it's only about 10 years old. And it's remarkable in one year to see the change in a girl's life. It's 100% turnaround. When the girls come here, we just, we strive hard to make them feel worthy. Uh, mostly they come from the marginalized families, very poor backgrounds. They come from orphanages, they come from broken families unimaginable conditions. They have their emotional needs, most of them have physical needs. So once they feel safe and once they feel that they are accepted, they are not looked down on, that changes them. They are mostly rejected and they are not valued as much as their brothers or the male child in the family. The very first lesson we, we give them is, you are special. So that touches their hearts. I see the difference in them in second year, and I cannot believe that this is the same girl that we had to work on when she entered RGM. I was an orphan kid, I was deserted, I was lost. But the light, like a Prakash is a light, that Prakash came in my life and everything is changed. It's a real joy to work here in Prakash now. And I mean helping students to understand their life purpose. Our mission is to bring those young people who do not have a hope and teach them, give them a basic skill so that they will stand on their own feet. The vision of Prakash Institute is, see, is, is to see uh, young generation uh, or the marginal, marginalized young people of India um, getting transformed in their thinking and the training here in Prakash Institute not only will give them good skills but help them to learn more about life, what life is and how to live this life. We will continue to address the needs of those who are parentless, outcast, hopeless, directionless. The students coming to Prakash are experiencing and given love in a drastically different 
and almost anti-cultural way that absolutely changes their lives. They seem to get a hope for a better future that was never even in their realm of thinking. Coming in with no hope and leaving with extreme hope for a better life. This last year was our 45th anniversary, which we celebrated at Prakash in February of 2019. The attendance was spectacular. We had former students who came and gave their testimonies, their stories. We were just elected the top three schools in Maharashtra State. And that's out of maybe a thousand or more schools. Let's thank all our global ministry partners and thank you so much for being uh, a part of this. And by the way, tonight, when we have the, the Illusionist, it's going to be so much fun at 6 o'clock tonight right here. We're also going to take an offering to try to raise funds to build a cabin at Camp Attitude in Oregon. We're trying to get about 11K to build that, uh, to build that cabin. Now, I want to leave you just one more thought. And this is one of my favorite things about World Outreach. I started with that lost puppy commercial. Well, the very first Super Bowl commercial to ever go viral culturally. I mean, it was all over the place the next week. Everybody was singing the song from this commercial, talking about it the next day. It was way back in 1971. Any guesses about what that might have been? Let me show you a hint. As the sun set on a hilltop in Italy, a group of beautiful, racially diverse young people sang, I'd like to build the world a home and furnish it with love. And I remember I was 10 years old thinking, wow, is this like a commercial about church or about missionaries or something? This is awesome. And then they went on, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. So beautiful. And then they sang the last line, I'd like to buy the world a Coke. And I was like, what? 
Like as the band plays, will you accept Coca-Cola into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior, right? <laughs> but the vision of this caught the imagination of the country. Why? Well, because 1971, everybody was so tired of a decade of, of, of division, political division, and racial division, and, and really hatred that were just tearing us apart. Hey, do people feel that way now? Maybe more than ever? Would you like to be part of the solution? Good news. At the very end of the Bible, there's a vision of heaven in Revelation 7, 9, and it says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude, more than anyone could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. You know what that means? Heaven's going to be the most diverse place you could ever imagine. And Jesus is already building his kingdom to look just like this. Did you know most of the Christian world is not white and it's not American? It's brown and it's black and it's in every country in the world. And that's one of my favorite things about doing world outreach. Because when we get outside of our own little world and we work with and serve our brothers and sisters all around the world with brown skin and black skin and in marginalized communities here and in other countries. Really, it's a preview of heaven. And just like Jesus said, some people will see that and glorify God because when we do outreach right, they will see us all working together across borders and they'll think this is what I've been waiting for. People of all races gathered together for a common goal and not for global consumption of sugared water, but because of the good news about a God who loves the whole world so much that he came to find all of us lost puppies, including you and including me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for your word that tells us to go into all the world, to go to all creation. And thank you that you came for the lost. And, and I pray that if anybody feels lost right now, that they would just tell you, thank you, I give you my life. And, and, and for those of us who've been found by you, I pray that we would just say, God, I, I wanna go and, and reach the lost in your name. Just open my eyes to the opportunities all around me. Maybe that's my neighbor or getting involved in local ministry or maybe going on a short-term trip or even going full-time as a global partner. I pray that all through this room, people will just say, God, I will go where you lead. And finally, God, we pray for all the global partners visiting with us this week. I just pray that they would know that they are loved, that they would know they have a second home here, that we are grateful for them. Bless them this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.